Homeland of My Body is a collection of new and selected poems by Richard Blanco. There are over 100 poems in this latest work. While the majority of them are culled from his previous books, groups of new poems bookend this collection. This is Book Public from Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. In this interview, Richard Blanco discusses wide-ranging topics, including a discussion of how his idea of home has morphed and how he continues to work to bridge the past and the present, languages and cultures, through his unique voice and vision. I spoke to Richard Blanco about his latest book, Homeland of My Body, New and Selected Poems. But first, here's Richard reading three of his poems from the collection, When I Was a Little Cuban Boy, Why I Needed to, and Riding Home. He starts us off with When I Was a Little Cuban Boy. When I Was a Little Cuban Boy. Oh, Jose, can you see? That's how I sang it when I was a Cubanito in Miami and America was some country in the glossy pages of my history book, someplace way north, everyone white, cold, perfect. This land is my land. So why didn't I live there in a brick house with a fireplace, a chimney with curly cues of smoke? I wanted to wear breeches and stockings to my chins those black pilgrim shoes with shiny gold buckles. I wanted to eat yams with the Indians, shake hands with those negros and dash through snow I'd never seen in a one horse hope and say. I wanted to speak in British, say really smart stuff like four's core and seven years ago, or one country under God in the visible. I wanted to see that land with no palm trees, only the strange sounds of flowers like petunias, peonies, impatience, waiting to walk through a door someday, somewhere, and God bless America, and say, Lucy, I'm home, honey. I'm home. Why I needed to. Because I faithfully reply to every email from the absurd gods of urgency who punish my good deeds by leaving me empty when I empty my inbox. Because I praise hating myself broken into my calendar's time-slotted tasks, slicing me thin with the thick duty of being everything, yet nothing, to anyone, not even me, because I remember birthdays but often forget my own and my mother's, because she is bitter sweet as the Cuban coffee she brews after Sunday dinners, because she only loves me in the language of her cooking, my favorite dish, carne con papas because of my blind father sunk in his armchair without me on his lap, because he never told me the life story I only read finally in the half-moons of his eyes the morning he gazed into mine, then died. Because my brother and I need to drink to share our shared hurt at happy hour, so unhappily grateful for love's wreckage, because my husband, who's still scared of his adoration for me, as we embrace sleep, still doubts how long I'll nest my dreams in his arms because I have never quite told him, always. Because I'm just as afraid of needing him more than myself. Because I'm not the one I've curated on Instagram, oh, so humbled by, so grateful for, so many posed blessings with my posed selves. Because tonight I again remember I'm nothing more than a mirage slowly disappearing on my porch, sitting with half the life I have left, 
still trying to piece how I fit into the puzzle of the constellations. Because I've drunk their shots of light and too many martinis, because I'm cheering mindlessly to the moon, to my wish for immortality amid the clouds of my own cigarette smoke. Because I should finally quit doubting my life will be more than these anonymous bones, because I need to believe in something else truer than me. Because that's why today I had to take myself away to the beach because I needed to imagine my father as that father at the shore handing a bouquet of seashells to his son because I needed to taste that love can be simple as a mother remembering to pack sodas and sandwiches because I needed the seagulls tending the horizon to teach me again to be as still as them peer calmly into the void of the skies I'm face because I needed to hear the waves break and break and break and break me into the lines of this poem because I needed to burn to see myself shine just as beautifully as the rosy glow of the sunlight bathing my closed eyes writing home I've straightened the arching fronds of palms into the stiff lines of poems that pity them for knowing no other home but the patch of sand where they were born to die. I've considered seagulls as a simile that envies their home as the invisible wind, the expanse of ocean and earth I can't soar above. I've repeated images of waves and waves, marveled at how they die seep secretly through the pores of sand back into the homeland of their own seas again and again as i wish i could i've personified the moon needing it to speak in the voice of my soul to myself lost in the sky of my own boundless darkness yet at ease in the universe of my loneliness i've given verse to the epic lifeline of stones once molten souls spewed from volcanoes' mouths, then their hardening, their weathering into pebbles I get to behold in my fists as mute metaphors for my own journey's questions of where I began, where I will end. I've jotted down the beats of rain that rhyme with the soft syllables of snow, tasking me to ask myself if I could ever be as fluid and homeless. I've made an allegory out of wildflower seeds, how they surrender their destiny to windborne miles that blow them to root in my tamed garden. Maybe this is their home more than it will ever be mine, though I've rendered my poems with images of them. That's what I'm wondering tonight, if every line I've written or will is merely a long road that dead ends, always breaking the thought that my ultimate home is ultimately some wordless place. So, Homeland of My Body, New and Selected Poems. How do you feel about having a book with the subtitle, New and Selected Homes? It feels very big. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, of course, uh, this kind of book is uh, such a 
a wonderful compliment to to one's career um uh to see sort of your life uh your life in poetry and in retrospect um and it uh it feels like uh you know i'm also mid i'm also middle-aged so like it feels like the right time but it really feels wonderful to think that you know i've reached this point in my writing career where i have a body of work right something that 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 is uh also putting together the book looking at all the journey that happened with all these themes of home place and identity and belonging and feel like hey I've done something, you know? Yeah. These are like a hundred poems. What was the process like for you? What's the, what was the organizing principle? I know these recurring themes of home, et cetera, et cetera, but what was that process like for you? Yeah. Well, there's one exciting thing that happened. And of course, putting together any book is sort of a discovery process. Uh, But one of the exciting things that happened was splitting the new poems into part one and part two, which bookend the book or sandwich the older poems. So there was an interesting structure that evolves. So in the first section of new poems, it's kind of like where I am today in terms of home, in terms of being an artist. And then that section ends with my coming back to uh, to Surfside in Miami, where I actually wrote my first book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so and so the 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 middle part of the book is sort of a flashback that then takes you through this journey. So so that I, I liked. And then the new poems part two sort of return you to the present and say and sort of reflect on what that body of work feels like now. So that was that was one of the interesting things. The other is, and this is I got to thank my editor and my agent. You know, I just thought I'd pick. You know, uh, just okay. The you know the oldies but goldies. You know, like the ones <laughs> the tried and true poems. Um, and in truth, uh, they said, you know, it's not always necessarily the poems that you've been reading all the time, but look, for, you know, look for the, the the unexpected poem that might be part of this. Might be a gap in the story or, or in the thread of of your work that maybe you didn't give enough play time to maybe they weren't published because they were too long or whatnot so that was an interesting to th- to think to go through and really look at a poem and not have a bias against my own <laughs> my own work <laughs> there's one poem in particular that's called letters in el año de la agricultura which is an exchange of letters between my mother and her sister when she left cuba and I just always felt that was a very important work, but it's very hard. It's a long poem. It's written in two, vo- in three voices. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a poem you, you don't read at, at a reading so much. And so it, it always felt important, and I got to include it in here. So that's one example of several. Well, then uh, talk to me about languages and about your bilingualism and what that's meant to you, maybe even before you became a poet, and, and then at this point with this being able to include this particular poem in such an important book. It's interesting because our listeners might know or that I'm also I'm also civil, a civil engineer and I've been a practicing civil engineer for most of my life. I always say that, you know, I discovered writing actually in my engineering office because so much of my work involved writing and 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 that's how I started writing poetry. I got interested in poetry and just just purely following my creative and intellectual curiosities. But it wasn't until recently that's what I thought, <laughs> but it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't until recently that I, I was still like, "Why are you a poet?" Like, <laughs> you know, you know, people look at me, "You're a poet and engineer." Like, and I, I would always say, "Yeah, what's wrong with that?" But <laughs> part of me was like, "Yeah, what what really happened here, Richard?" And uh, I realized that I never, I don't ever remember not knowing two languages. I got here when I was 45 days old. I, in essence, was the first person to learn English rather well and I remember translating for my parents like at 
at three, four, five years old, not whole conversations, of course, but just how do you say this? How do you say that? And I guess it imprinted in me the sense that, you know, language, first of all, I didn't take language for granted and, I, and it as just a form of communication, but also imprinting in me this idea that language is a way of thinking. It's a way of being in the world and that language was power. I mean, here you are a little kid. And for most of our lives, my parents never, oh, they learned English, but they were afraid to speak it. And of course, they didn't master it completely. But once you left, you know, the Miami-Dade County line, like they were at, at my linguistic mercy and my brother and Ari's linguistic mercy. Hmm. So that always, I think, imprinted. So I think when I was presented with, you know, with this writing thing in engineering, something clicked in me and and that, and I pursued it. And it took me almost 40 years to find that out. But <laughs> but uh, the other piece, I mean, I always like to use Spanish because there's two reasons for it. There's just some words that just are, that are so culturally attached that they would seem silly in translation. So like saying things like aunt, you know, or aunt <laughs> or mother, you know, <laughs> not that I don't use it in English sometimes. It depends on the poem, but especially when writing family poems or a childhood memory poems, I mean, that's that's important to sort of hold on to those words the other part of it is really just in a sense a craft device because i always say you know if, if you're a director and you're making a movie about an italian family <laughs> well you would expect to hear some italian in the room right and so so it also gives it that layer of of, of authenticity when there's there's spanish in the poem so that's important one thing i learned recently that was really fascinating to me though my book Looking for the Gulf Motel was translated by a professional translator who is Cuban as well. And he told me, uh, his name is Eduardo Aparicio, and he told me, I'm not translating your poems. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, I'm putting it back in the language in which it happened. And that blew my mind. Um, yeah. So, you know, the family poems, family memory poems, the childhood memory poems, all that happened in Spanish. And so the, the poem in English is already, in a sense, a translation of that experience and so that I've, i mean i've always been fascinated with that so when he was when he was translating it he's he would ask me is that really what your mother said <laughs> or <laughs> what did she really say did she really say caramba <laughs> uh well no that's more for my my monolingual audience right it, it was much worse than that <laughs> there were real cuss words flying around so but it, it was funny to to think about language in that way as well that's astonishing that the translator said that. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> uh, do you do you think do you dream in Spanish still? I mean, do things do things come to you sort of just unbidden in Spanish? Todavía? Um, not so much, but um, so obviously, I mean, we spoke Spanish in the household and growing up in Miami, there's Spanish, you know, everywhere, but it's also like kind of everyday colloquial Spanish. You're yeah. not discussing, you know, <laughs> um, post-colonial literature in Spanish <laughs> at, the, at, the, at the Cuban grocery store. So, so, you know, it's that level of Spanish. And of course, I took Spanish in high school and college and whatnot, but, but it was obviously educated in English. But here's another sort of thing that really is funky and interesting. So when I go to a Spanish-speaking country, and especially Cuba, at first, usually I, I always go with my mother to Cuba. At first, I'm like, Mami, como se dice toco? You know, how do you say this? How do you say that? And then just like my mind gets so tired of translating that it shuts down. And so there's like a moment where I have no language and it's kind of eerie, but it's kind of like being 
a two-year-old without language you just look at a tree and you have no like both words escape you in both languages wow. and then something snaps and then i start thinking in spanish <laughs> wow yeah and then and then i start forgetting english <laughs> so then i have to ask my mom mommy como se dice esto en inglés you know how do you say this in english um and it's funny like suddenly i'm having these complex conversations and like you know it even happens when i go to international book fairs like when i've been to uh the book fair in bogota and in uh, guadalajara and i always ask for a translator and the organizers are like but you're cuban I mean, you know spanish i'm like not at that level but soon enough i'm like soltando una palabrota, you know, like sort of like you could, you could swear I had a PhD in Spanish literature. So it's there somewhere. And uh, what I like to do, then I'll have an inspiration in Spanish to write poems. And so I'll, I'll come back or even when I'm there, I'll start penning some things. But what I like to do is I don't, I don't like, I, I kind of, so, well, let me explain. So I'll write a line or two or three in Spanish, then translate it into English mess around with it in the mm -hmm. English, reverse translate it into Spanish, mess around it in Spanish, translate it a second time into English and back and forth and back and forth until I feel I've said what I, I've said what I wanted to say in both languages in the best way I can. And I present it, you know, the poem is happening, you know, line by line or stanza by stanza. So I present always the text as one thing because they're really co-created. It's not like, it's not like the Spanish and then my own translation, but rather it's the bilingual mind working at the same time. And it's really fascinating because it also teaches you the, the sort of the strengths and weaknesses of each language. Um, and sometimes, geez, I wish we had possessive in Spanish. You know? <laughs> <laughs> de, 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 tole. And like, can't we just put an apostrophe S on that? <laughs> and then, but also I love how in Spanish you can be much more, um, evocative and much more sentimental than you can in English. So, so it's kind of neat to go through that exercise. Oh, it's just so endlessly fascinating, this this idea of translation and, and bilingualism. Another thing about your work, I think that that people have come to understand is that you write about home, homeland. It's very important to you. And I have this idea about grappling with the notion of being homeless, always searching for home. Do you still think of yourself? I mean, you've been here since you're 45 days old, but right. do you still, do you think of yourself as, as an exile or do you think of yourself as having found home or, or can we ever, or can we, right. can we ever maintain that idea or does it shape shift or how do you perceive the idea of home? I feel like you're constantly grappling with this in ways that I don't think I don't think I know of any other writer that grapples with it quite like you do. Well, thank you. I, I, yeah, it's become uh, you know the the question of my center, the center of my work. That one question you're never quite going to quite answer, um, but there are possibilities and potential answers. I, I think it's been through different iterations, and I'll try to give you a sort of a quick summary. So growing up, so as I like to say, I was made in Cuba, assembled in Spain, and imported to the United States. So, <laughs> uh, my mother left Cuba seven months pregnant to Madrid. Um, I'm born, and 45 days later, we emigrate to the United States. So by the time I was 45 days old, I belonged to three countries and yet to none. But growing up, I, you know, uh, the journey has been, you know, it's, it's shape-shifted, like you said, and because home is like asking what is it changes it changes as people around us change um 
in sort of growing up, uh, I didn't want to be Cuban like like any normal kid. You never want to be what your parents are. <laughs> so so it was a sense of like in, in like uh, the poem when I was a little Cuban boy it was kind of like this yearning to be that real American that was a fantasy, right? Um, that you only saw on television or whatever in, in, in TV commercials and whatnot. <laughs> so a lot of the uh, a lot of that journey, and I detail that in my memoir, right? I call it a cultural coming of age story. Was you get to a point in your life where you're like, we you ask that big question, where am I from? And the answer isn't what you thought. And so then I became super fascinated with my Cuban culture and really diving into it. I went to Cuba for the first time. Um, and I kind of rejected America as like, no, I'm Cubano, you know, mm -hmm. as soon as Cuba is free, I can move back there and that's it. That's my, that's my home, my identity. Of course, that's, we're still waiting for Cuba. So, <laughs> so, but it was also difficult to have a, a real relationship with the island because, you know, you couldn't travel freely, but also in a way it was my parents' Cuba that I was looking and that wasn't exactly what, what I could attain. And so it was more like a real imagined place. And then, so I moved to, I moved up to the Northeast to Hartford, Connecticut, thinking that's it. Okay. I'm moving to New England, Robert Frost, you know, mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to like, like that poem says, you know, you know right. Uh, singing jingle, jingle bells in a one horse hope and say, thinking <laughs> I'm just as American as I, mean, I just can fit in. And then I was like, okay, this is not it either. <laughs> um, so then I started traveling a lot and that's in my, in my second book, Directions to the Beach of the Dead, a lot of travel poems, again, with that same question in, in, you know, in my luggage, <laughs> figuratively, um, and uh, in my baggage. And then I kind of gave up on that question for a little while and I moved to Maine. Um, and I was just thinking about home as, as Basho put it, you know, life is a journey and the journey itself is home. And then then the White House called and asked me to write a poem about America, <laughs> uh, which is ironically my very first assignment in my very first creative writing class. In, and it's the very first poem in my very first book. <laughs> the assignment, and I was like, okay, Obama, you gave me the same assignment. I've, I've been working on this for 30 years now. <laughs> so then I felt finally imagined the experience of serving as inaugural poet. Like I finally understood that, uh, no, I am American and I don't need to be that, that little boy in, in that white picket fence on some 1950 show that my narrative is, uh, that all our narratives are really part of what makes home uh, and makes a country. So that, that book was big in a different way. It was called How to Love a Country. And it was like asking that question of home suddenly, not just in my own sort of autobiographical space, but thinking about what is home to us as a nation. What is a country, really? You know, mm -hmm. how, how do we define that? How do we, how do we connect with that? How do we deal with all its, with all its ugly history? You know, so, so that was that exploration. And where I am now um, in the homeland of my body, is that. Not that I've given up in the search, but I've, I think it's also being middle-aged. And you, I just feel like now I, that it, I've surrendered like that egoic part of the self that wants to find paradise and thinks, you know, if only I move to Rome, I'll live forever, you know, happily ever after. And I've realized that all the homes I've had, um, all the places I've traveled, all the homes I've lost are still in me. I mean, it is, you know, that, that for me, home is more dealing now with the psyche of home as a space and also my art as a home, which I had never really contemplated either. That that's, that's really one of the most permanent spaces I inhabit, right? So it's mm -hmm. not no, no longer just a physical space, but more like a psychic space or, or a psychological space that I'm thinking of home now 
And so I'm not, I don't get as nostalgic. I also don't get as bitter when something changes. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then ironically, my, now sharing my time between Maine and Miami and coming back to the city I grew up in, it's, it's all kind of oblique, all come full circle um, to reconnect uh, with, with Miami as well. Um, but I'm not, you know, I'm not longing to, you know, find anything. It's, uh, it's all there. It's all in me. It's all in my body, in my mind, and in my soul. I love that. Well, you mentioned Obama, Obama calling. Yes. <laughs> was that it? Obama call. <laughs> Obama call. Well, that was in what in twenty thirteen. Well, actually, at the call in twenty twelve in December, but yeah, the inauguration was in January of twenty thirteen. And in March of twenty twenty three, you were the recipient of a National Medal of the Humanities. Yep, that's right. <laughs> so you know, I was thinking about in that ten years. So much has happened to us as a country, and we've collectively experienced, oh gosh, mass shootings at schools, at nightclubs, at places of worship. We all watched the murder of George Floyd in, in the aftermath of that, the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, a pandemic, por Dios. Yes. <laughs> How have you considered your work, even the accolades, well, I want to ask you about, you know, your story and sort of like, not that, that you're just like, the, you were this unlikely figure, not at all, uh, on the contrary, but on this incredible trajectory that you've been on, I wonder about how you consider the idea of, of the United States and this idea of home because of these last 10 years. Yeah, it's been a, it's been quite a bit. Yeah, I also... Like, I don't know, lately I've been feeling I, I just don't really like the world in general right yeah. now. I, I've never experienced a time in my life with such an ease, right? And I would say I don't like the world, but like of an ease at every at every turn, right? Um, yeah. So the way I've contextualized it um, or made sense of it a bit, well, a lot of it is also in the poems of How to Love a Country, where I, you know, I investigate some of our, our, our history of racism and anti-immigration and and mass shootings there's yes. a poem in that book about pulse yes. and trying to make sense of it i think it's a ripple effect of of actually the experience of being an agro poet in general i guess people put another way people ask me also do i have hope or do i still have like you know how do i feel about this <laughs> what we've seen all this and the inauguration taught me something really uh, amazing um there's such a presence in the sense of it's so much larger than than oneself. Um, it was even larger than Beyonce. She was there at the. She sung the national anthem. You feel it's even larger than the president. There's something something almost sacred about it. But also realizing that you know democracy is a work in progress. And um, and as I like to say, you know democracy is a verb. It's not a noun. You don't have a democracy. You work. You you democratize you you do mm -hmm. democracy right, um, <laughs> and so that that has charged me has kept a little bit of a light on and thinking also how poetry, the poetry uh, that I've been working on uh, in that book in particular the poetry of we versus the poetry of I how poetry has has a place in that dialogue or at least um, a place that people can go to how uh, poetry can serve as a kind of discourse or the idea of the civic minded poet or the socially conscious poet which are poems that I never thought I'd ever write because I felt like okay my thing is just this Cuban thing you know mm -hmm. um, so so I'm still you know I think also being an immigrant and a son of immigrants 
you know they instill in us this real authentic kind of patriotism right that it, it still has like the shining light in in me uh and so <laughs> i just have work to do and in a, in a weird way i'm grateful uh and I, i'm not grateful that would be bad but i i have an opportunity to step up through my art to continue to see this through and it's not easy no it's not easy and and in, and in fact I had to take a little bit of a break and I think Homeland of My Body became a much more a little more introspective of a book mm-hmm. part of that had to do with the pandemic as well I never you know people interviewers would ask me well how has the pandemic affected your life and I'm like I, I have to make up things like I mean, here I am writing. I was, I was sequestered in Maine, in my house in Maine, in the middle of a forest, in my small town. I was like, okay, I'm sitting at my desk by myself for two weeks writing. Like nothing's really changed, but oh my god, subconsciously it was really eating because I yeah. see it in the poems that I was writing around then, and it, you know, and then again being middle aged, those two things really affected this book. And thinking about like mortality was was uh, was palpable. You yeah. know, it was like you saw it everywhere, every day. You know, and 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 so that affected this writing. So I think I'll go back to um, you know I'm thinking about how I go back also to those larger questions of country and and how I can uh, how I how my portrait can serve as some kind of again some kind of sit and help the dialogue or become part of the civic discourse. I try to work a lot in the public humanities, and I should say. You know that it's not just what a poem is about right but just the fact that just paying attention to creation and and even beauty is also an antidote to you know to all the rest right like mm-hmm. like embracing something that makes us that makes us feel something good you know about ourselves or or, or about where we are in our lives or where our country is that 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 also helps right it's not always it's not always the critique but also uh, we need to also, as you know, just take a breather <laughs> sometimes, you know, to do the work that we must do. So I've I've been considering your your career and your books and these these many achievements, these many amazing accolades, but there's no resting. It sounds like to me, there's no resting on your laurels there's no hanging it all up at all <laughs> no <laughs> and, <laughs> i just hang up the medals but now that's it. i don't hang up good. anything else but you know when you talk about and i consider you still a very young man but when you talk about the idea of middle age i also feel like i think about what's next and what it means and as you say maybe being able to think more clearly about things that matter more writing in the we instead of in the eye and looking at things from another vantage point, but also caring a little bit less about not sweating the small stuff. Do you have the, those those ideas now? What's next for you along those lines? Yeah. In several ways. Uh, I think writing Homeland in my body was part of that process of letting go, of surrendering a lot of, you know, middle ages of time to pause and get rid of what's not useful you know what's not yeah. working and um sort of clean the slate a little bit and, exactly uh, you know and I, I hate it terrifies me to to think this way but part of it is you know so much of my work has been about the exile community my mother and all that and i and i feel like i've done all i can in that respect you know like that's something that came from a very deep personal space and so that that's a kind of something that's happening in this book is like i can't i can't do anything else with that inherited trauma uh, so to speak so 
but in a beautiful way i'm not like okay you know so it's just <laughs> like okay like i did what you know this is it this is where we are so that's one 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 thing um the other thing i'm just i feel so i'm a spaz um <laughs> <laughs> no. i i wish i was one of those people that you know just did one thing all their life not i wish i well i do sometimes or, or i question it rather you know that's been writing poetry since it's three years old and that's all they've ever wanted to do and whatnot so i think this phase of my life i'm just exploring all different kinds of wonderful projects that would i would have never said a yes to before we just had a wrote a play uh with a co-wrote with vanessa garcia a play that premiered in portland maine and just finished a run here in miami at the actors playhouse and it's called sweet goats and blueberry senoritas uh-huh. um, and so it was wonderful to explore what a what a mind trip to just a whole other way of writing but wow. also to see your your words come alive in people's in the actors bodies and in the set and like whatnot yeah. so that's been interesting i'm also working on as co-lyricist with ben- benjamin Velez mm-hmm. on a musical based on the memoir waiting for snow in havana which details a lot of Operation Peter Pan or Pedro Pan, mm-hmm. which was the airlifting of 1,400 unaccompanied minors uh, from uh, Cuba between 19, late 50s to early 60s, yeah. the largest exodus, uh, the, the largest uh, thing of its kind in the Western Hemisphere. So that's been fascinating, and using using all these other these other techniques of poetry that you don't really use on the page for the mm-hmm. page poem, like rhyme and meter and like and realizing all these wonderful parallels between lyrics and and poetry that i had never really explored and then i've been working also on on the the script for um my memoir the prince of los cucuyos was optioned for a tv show oh, fantastic. they also they also made me a writing a writing executive producer so so i've uh, written two pilots for that and so that might be a whole other journey for me so oh, wow. um so i think that's you know yeah i would have never dared to do that you know in <laughs> my mid-30s or even 40s because well that's you know you can't do that you have to follow your one career path and yeah. whatnot yeah wow it all sounds so exciting i can't wait of course the themes are all home but yeah that's good <laughs> but it's it's another way of dimensioning it right that keeps yeah. it exciting and I, and brings up new questions or new dimensions of of this great big four-letter word, you know. Exactly. Well, Richard Blanco, I cannot thank you enough. What a what a thrill and what an honor to get to talk to you today. Thanks, Eva. It's been a pleasure. Richard Blanco is the author of Homeland of My Body, New and Selected Poems. This has been Book Public from Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rosati composed our theme music. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. I'm Yvette Benavides. 